Hey, greetings, C3 San Diego, Pastor Jurgen and Pastor Leanne and all the staff team. And we're so missing you. I was looking forward to being with you here in July, but uh, it looks like you're all still on lockdown. And so uh, I'm bringing this message from New Zealand. Looking forward to sharing this with you. I know it's going to be powerful. I want you to open your hearts to let the Holy Ghost touch you and bring a measure of freedom to you. I'm going to speak today on overcoming the spirit of injustice, overcoming the spirit of injustice. And we're going to look at a man in the Bible who stands out uh, as someone who arose out of all kinds of injustice and became God's hero. And uh, this could be your story as well. There are lots of stories in the Bible uh, of people who suffered injustice. And looking through the Bible, we come to the conclusion that injustice, unfair treatment are all part of God's training purpose, training process to get you to your destiny. So don't fight with God, respond to God and let him help you in this journey. There's not any one of us who hasn't at some times experienced an injustice of some kind, an unfair treatment. We kind of grow up from when we're very young saying, it's not fair, it's not fair, it's not right. And there's something in us desires justice. I think it's the part of us made in the image of God. So I want to share a story. We're going to look into the book of Judges. And I want you to read with me in the book of Judges. We go through to Judges chapter 11. We're going to read just verses 1 through to verse 11. So if you can pop up on the screen and follow me with this. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor. But, <laughs> so he's a mighty man of valor. As we'll see, he's one of God's heroes. He's one that God uh, uh, commends. And having the commendation of God is what all of us want and seek for in our life. But he was the son of a prostitute, and Gilead was his father. And Gilead's wife bore sons. And when the wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall have no inheritance in our father's house. You're the son of a strange woman, foreign woman, a prostitute. Uh, then Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob, and worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with them. It came to pass, after a process of time, <clears throat> the people of Ammon made war against Israel. And it was so, when the people of Ammon made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, Come, be our commander, that we may fight against the people of Ammon. In other words, they're asking him to be their champion of freedom. And, uh, and they said to Jephthah, come be our commander. And Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, did you not hate me? Did you not expel me from my father's house? Why do you come here to me now when you're in distress? And uh, the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, well, that's why we've turned to you again now, uh, that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And so Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, if you take me home to fight against the people of Ammon and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? Shall I be your leader? Shall I lead the nation? And uh, the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord be witness between us if we do not do according to your words. And Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and commander over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mizpah. One of the things you'll find in the Bible are so many stories of people who either started in a place of shame and God lifted them up to a place of honor, or they had a measure of honor in their life 
and they had circumstances brought them to a place of shame and humiliation and then God lifts them up. It's like God loves to lift people up who humble themselves before him in the season or time when they're in shame. So let's go through the story. I want to open up several things you may never have seen in the story. The first we want to look at is uh, verse 1. Uh, Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor. Uh, that word mighty man means literally a warrior. It means a champion. It means a giant of a man, a man of great courage. He was a warrior. And uh, then it says he was a mighty man of valor. And that word valor means strength of substance. It means someone who's got strong spirit, strong driving force inside him. It, it means to have strength and mind of spirit that enable you to face and overcome danger and opposition with firmness and courage. Let me say that again. It's the strength, it's an internal strength in your mind and spirit that enables you to arise up and face uh, obstacles or face and overcome danger or opposition with firmness and courage. He was a mighty man of valor. That's what God wants you to be, a mighty man or mighty woman of valor in this hour and this day. Now you notice uh, about this, he wasn't born a man of valor. He wasn't, no one's born a mighty man or a mighty woman. He became a mighty man by the choices he made as he faced adversity and difficulties in life. He became a mighty man of valor by the battles that he fought and overcame. And it's the same for you and me. We become mighty men, mighty women of courage and valor, not because someone laid hands on us, but because of what we develop and cultivate in our heart and mind. It's because of the choices we make. It's because of the battles we refuse to run from, but stand up and overcome. God uses them to cause us to become a mighty man of valor. Now, most of the biggest battles we face, no one sees. They're unseen battles. They're the battles in your heart. They're the battles in your thoughts. They're the battles for your affections, a battle for your attention. People don't see them, but God sees them. We live for an audience of one who's ever watching. And uh, so it's these battles uh, that are within are the biggest ones. They're the battles with hurts, the battles with disappointments, the battles against temptation, the battles against fear, the battles against uh, betrayal, the battles against the injustice that people cause to us. So these battles, God uses them for our maturing process and for our promotion. So it tells us, uh, in, uh, I think in the beginning of the book of Judges, that many of the enemies were left in the land so that the people who never knew how to fight could learn how to fight. So I want to talk then about the spirit of injustice. I preached on the story of Jephthah in a number of different ways, and there's various aspects you could look at, but I want to look at it from the point of injustice. It's something everyone would, would, would identify with. Uh, first of all, what is injustice? Well, injustice then is the violation of your personal rights. It's the violation uh, of you and your rights because you've been treated unjustly, or treated unfairly. You've been devalued as a person by the way people treated you. And it affects us. We're made for honor, and we, 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 uh, when we're put to shame or treated unjustly, there's a deep wounding takes place. So Jephthah was subject to injustice all his growing up life. 
And we're going to go through the story. And I want to show you three areas of injustice that he suffered. And each one of these areas of injustice has a deep impact on people's life. But we see how God uh, used this whole thing to turn him around and cause him to become a great champion. So he was subject to injustice. And the injustice he was subject to, he was powerless and helpless. There's like... He had no power to stop what was happening to him. The things that were happening were very unfair. Uh, uh, they, they affected him very deeply, as we'll see in the story. So, so when people, when, when your rights are violated, when you're treated unjustly, like usually someone who's in power, someone who's older, someone who's stronger, someone who has more money, someone's in a position uh, of control or influence over your life, that, that, this causes, of course, tremendous uh, grief, it can cause tremendous hatred, resentment, bitterness. It usually causes a deep sense of shame. I have no value. Something's wrong with me. So the spirit of injustice then is a spirit that uh, works behind all forms of injustice. And, 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 and it torments people. All demon spirits torment us. So uh, demonic tormentors will torment you if you don't deal with the roots of injustice in your life. So a tormenting spirit of injustice, it will affect the way you see people. When you see people, you'll be looking for injustice, you'll be expecting injustice. It's like you're anticipating unfair treatment, and then every little thing becomes magnified. It affects how you interpret people's actions. When people interact with you, or especially those in power, those in authority, your whole interpretation of what their actions mean is affected. And uh, I have found that for many people, because they've never dealt with injustice, then they have issues not just in their home, they have issues in their workplace, they have issues with authority in every arena of life, including in the church. And they get offended, and they react, and they run away from the very place God positioned them to be healed. Perhaps you're in that place right now. Perhaps you're in a reaction mode. Perhaps there's things stirring up inside you and you're fixed on injustice. It may not even be your own injustice. It may be the injustice of someone else is stirring up the pain in your own heart. This is God's signal to you that you need to process it and address it. So I want to share with you, first of all, the three areas that Jephthah uh, experienced deep injustice three distinct areas and these are very common areas and uh it's it's just it's a different way of looking at it than i've looked at it before number one the first area personal injustice the second area is systemic injustice i'll explain each of these in a moment and the third area economic injustice so he suffered in every kind of possible way so the first one is let's look at personal injustice and you read in the first two verses, and let's go back to them again, verse 1 and 2. Now, Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a prostitute. His father was Gilead, and Gilead's wife bore sons. And when the wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out, saying, You'll have no inheritance in our father's house. You're the son of a strange or another woman. Now, notice this. Jephthah was the result of adultery by his father, he was the result of an unwanted pregnancy. He was the result of his father having an affair with a prostitute, and not just a prostitute in Israel. An Ammonite woman was the prostitute. The Ammonites were a people who uh, worshipped Molech, the god who destroyed children. 
The Ammonite people uh, were a people that had invaded the land. They were literally the people that oppressed Israel at this time. So they were a very greatly hated people. The Ammonites were the descendants of Lot by incest with his daughter. So everything about the Ammonites was a cause of grief and concern for Israel. Now notice here, if we look at the injustice he suffered personally, when his father had the affair with the prostitute, she never reckoned she was going to get pregnant, probably did everything she could not to be pregnant. However, she became pregnant. Now, when she became pregnant, of course, the first thoughts about the child is, I don't want this child. I know who's caused this. I don't want the child. So from the very first moment of his conception, the first impressions of his existence in this world, I'm unwanted. I'm unwanted, and I'm unwanted uh, partly because uh, this is uh, inconvenient to my mother and partly because of race. I'm half Hebrew, I'm half Ammonite, I'm unwanted by my mother. And no doubt his mother did everything she could to get rid of this pregnancy, but failed in all of that. So when the pregnancy came to full term and the baby was born, she then took this baby, took this little boy, and took him down to, Je to the father's house. You can imagine what, Je what, uh, what the, the wife <laughs> what uh, what the um, what the Gilead's wife? You can imagine how she felt about the arrival of a child that looked different to the Hebrew children because it was half one, half the other. Uh, a child that came about as a result of adultery. A child that came about as a result of unfaithfulness of a husband. A child that came about because of prostitution with a foreign invasion uh, uh, woman. Uh, you can understand the grief and the betrayal and the anger and the bitterness. Every time she saw the child, it reminded her of her husband's infidelity. Every time she saw the child, her unresolved anger would be against this child. So we find also there were other sons born in the family after Jephthah, and as they grew up, they hated him. He's the black sheep of the family, so to speak. He's the odd one out. So you notice how he's rejected and abandoned by his Ammonite mother. Why? He's the unwanted uh, child, uh, a mixed-race son. Uh, then the mother, the stepmother, uh, also, she rejects him. Uh, and why does she reject him and hate him? Well, he's an unwanted son uh, of mixed race uh, who's a constant reminder of infidelity of a husband. He's rejected and abused by his stepbrothers. Why? He's an unwanted mixed race brother. He's the odd one in the family. He's the one that doesn't fit. He's the one that they all hate. If there's something happens, he's the one gets the blame. He's the one they pick on. He's the one they gang up on. Clearly, all his growing life, he was subjected to rejection, subjected to abandonment, subjected to hatred, subjected to abuse. He was constantly put to shame. Was that because of something he did? Not at all. It was because of something he was, something he had no power over, no choice over, no decision in. He had no power to change it, and yet he's treated as someone who's unwelcome and unwanted. He's treated with deep injustice. Every day of his life is a day of recurring injustice. And so he suffered shame. Shame is the message. Uh, I'm not, something is wrong with me. I'm the problem. And with shame, I can't fix the problem because I'm the problem. Guilt, I did something wrong. I can fix the problem perhaps and put it right. Shame, I'm the problem. What can I do? 
uh, the next thing he would he would have experienced deep grief in his heart, deep pain, deep wound in his heart, and he he experienced this all his time growing up. But he didn't just suffer. Uh, personal injustice. He also suffered what we call systemic injustice. And systemic, what do we mean by systemic? Systemic has to refer to the whole system. So in this case, it refers to the whole community. And I'll explain what I mean in a moment. So a systemic problem is a problem that pervades the whole system, the whole community, the whole social structure, and it's a, a problem that constantly and affects uh, people everywhere. And this, he, he suffered from that. And uh, the, everything in the community, right through to the legal system, was against Jephthah. And we'll see that in just a moment. Now, why was the system against him, so to speak? Well, you have to understand the culture of the Bible. And the culture of the Bible uh, in the day of Jesus, as in the days of Jephthah, uh, the culture of the Middle East, the culture of many uh, nations uh, through Asia and, and, and Pacific and Africa and uh, South America, many of these cultures, about 70% of world's, world's cultures, are what you call honor-shame culture. They are different in their value base to a Western culture which is law and guilt innocence based. And uh, so very much, and if you're in America, of course, you're very much, very much law based. But for the culture of Jesus' day, it's an honor-shame culture. That means honor is the currency of the culture. Honor is what people value. Shame or loss of face is what they fear. So what is honor? Honor is a value put on you by the community. You can't put it on yourself. It's something the community puts on you. It's value by the community of you as a person. Shame, likewise, is put on you by the community. It's a treating view of someone of little or no value. So what was the basis for honor? What was the basis for shame? Well, there are three main sources of honor. Of course, there are many different kinds of honor. But the, the main sources of honor in an honor-shame culture, number one, your family of origin. Where have you come from? That's why in these cultures, they will always put the surname first. Or in the Bible, they would say someone's name, and he was the son of so-and-so. They're saying his family of origin. So your family of origin then, if your family of origin was a family of honor, then honor came to you immediately. You were born right, born on the good side, born into a good family, born with a good name. You had a head start in life. But if you were not from a great family of origin, if you were from a family that was in shame or disgrace in some, for some reason, then, of course, shame automatically came on you. You were treated as an extension of that family, and therefore the shame of the family became your shame. And, uh, and the third area, of course, uh, the area of um, how honor came. Honor came through your family of origin. Honor came through bravery or courage in warfare and conflict and battle. And honor came or was ascribed to you because of generosity to the poor. You use your wealth to benefit the community and the poor. So there's the three sources of honor. Your family of origin, bravery and courage, and then generosity or benevolence. And, uh, but there are, of course, uh, areas of shame as well. Your shame, the main source of shame is your family of origin. Then also cowardice is a source of shame. Uh, um, poverty was a source of shame. Immorality is a source of shame. Uh, failure to conform to the community and their expectations was a form of shame, or that's what, a source of shame. So <laughs> you understand then, 
Poor old Jephthah didn't have a go. He didn't have a chance. His mother's an Ammonite. She's the wrong race. She's part of the invading race. She's part of our enemy. So you can see from the very beginning, he's got no choice over his mother. His family of origin, part of his family of origin, is uh, from a, a woman who's from the Ammonite uh, culture, uh, uh, idol-worshipping culture, and a prostitute. Uh, clearly, this is a source of deep shame. Uh, from the Jews' point of view or the Hebrews' point of view, anyone who's an Ammonite or part Ammonite had no acceptance into the kingdom of God or into the Jewish culture, into the temple worship. They had no, they had no door of access. Uh, if a child was born illegitimately, then the law of Moses forbade them to be uh, accepted into the, the, the tribe of Israel as well. You see, then, he's really got some problems because his mother's an Ammonite, uh, he's uh, born in adultery with a prostitute, conceived out of wedlock, so he's rejected. The legal system is against him. The law of Moses, Deuteronomy 23, is against those who are born illegitimately or who are sourced out of the Ammonites and the Moabites. So we see he's mixed race color. He's half Ammonite, half Hebrew. And you can see then from the way the cultures viewed him that the whole of the culture of the community would have viewed him as a person of shame and disgrace, and they would have avoided him. So this had huge consequences. In other words, instead of being welcome in the community, everywhere he goes, every engagement he has, there's a reaction by people, the way they look at him, He's not the same. And the Jews are a very proud people. They were very, they saw themselves as being the blessed people, the people of God. They looked down on other cultures. And someone like him would have suffered rejection in little ways, words, attitudes, uh, mistreatment constantly all the time. It's like his whole life is a fight to be able to overcome the hostility that he experiences. When we experience hostility, then it can deeply affect our, our life and, and how we see ourselves. The third uh, thing that he experienced was the area of economic injustice. And uh, in a community, an honor shame community, if someone was uh, a person of great shame and dishonor, uh, the, the people avoided connection with them, so they didn't want to trade with them, they didn't want to be associated with them, didn't want to connect with them. So life financially was very hard for him. Not only that, his brothers conspired against him so that the inheritance he may have been able to receive from his father, they applied the legal system against him to make sure he got none of it. So notice there in uh, Judges chapter 11, verse 2, uh, they said to him, you'll have no inheritance in our father's house. You're the son of a strange foreign woman. And of course, so he appeals to the local leadership, the legal system, the elders of the community, and the legal system sided with the dead brothers ensured he not only got no money whatsoever from the father's inheritance, but actually they commanded him and, and drove him, literally drove him out of town. So notice what he said in verse 7. He said to the elders of Gilead, why did you hate me? What have I done that, you caught, that caused you to hate me and you expelled me even out of my own father's house? In other words, the whole system was against him. And then, of course, so he suffered personally. He suffered uh, uh, the systemic injustice, and he suffered economic injustice. Life was incredibly hard for him. It's no wonder the Bible says then he fled. <laughs> he ran away. He ran away because he's in such pain. He ran away because he's angry. He ran away because he's feeling injustice in his life. He ran away because he can't stay in an environment which is not nurturing and supportive of him. 
The whole community rejects him. He's got no one and nowhere to go. So he goes, the Bible says, he fled from his brothers, verse 3, and went into the land of Tob. Now, of course, when, 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 and it says worthless men were gathered to him. Oh, my goodness. Worthless means literally to have no value, to, to be emptied of all value. In other words, when, when, when you're carrying a spirit of injustice, when you've been shamed and dishonored and devalued, you tend to gather up to yourself the same kind of people. You tend to gather to people that, around the common injustice. And injustice is the thing that unites you. It's not faith. It's not the fear of God. It's not a vision or a purpose. They were united around injustice. They all were disgruntled. It sounds just like David's men. But something dramatic happens. And uh, we want to look at that. It says, after the passage of time, the people of Ammon made war against Israel. So here's the thing. You can run away. He fled from his brothers. You can run. You can run from circumstances, but you can't run from yourself. He was an empty man. He was emptied of all honor. And, and, and he's suffering and in deep pain. But notice, he became a mighty man of valor. Why did the elders... Uh, gather or call out to him to come and help them because they heard his reputation. How do they hear his reputation? Nothing he said. God has caused the winds to turn. God has turned the whole situation. God has taken him through a process of transformation and brought him to the place where now God has set up a circumstance where the destiny he had for him can now be fulfilled. There's a war starts and it's, it's a war against their oppressors. What they're longing for is freedom. And who are they going to turn to to be the champion of freedom? Well, there's only one person who's got the fight in him. There's only one person got the strength in him. Only one person's got the skill in him, and that's Jephthah. So they come to him to ask him to help. So he became a mighty man of valor. Now notice in this, Jephthah was shamed and disgraced by the community but God honors him. God lists him in one of the halls of faith. You read in Deuteronomy, sorry, Hebrews 11 and verse 32, it says, in the list of the heroes of faith, out of all the history of men who walk with God, out of all the history of people who walk with God, God lists there, and he lists among them, Jephthah. Jephthah. He's listed next to Samson, listed uh, to, to David. He's, he's listed among mighty men of valor, mighty men of strength. Oh my goodness. I love that. See what a reason Hebrews 11:32. What more shall I say? Time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, and David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, work righteousness, obtained promises. So notice, God selects him for special honor. Shamed by the community, but honored by God. Where are you looking for your honor? Are you looking at it from people? Are you looking at for it in the community? Or have you positioned yourself under the mighty hand of God that he in due time can exalt you and lift you up? Are you looking for approval, recognition, acceptance by people? Or are you putting your life into alignment with God and submitting to his process Instead of reacting and fighting, you're submitting to God's process and allowing him to raise you up, allowing him to promote you, allowing him to open the doors for you. And it says, notice he's honored as a man in his generation who fulfilled God's purpose. Now, in every generation, God is looking for man. God is looking for woman. God is looking for someone just like you. 
And of course, we don't come to him perfect. We come with brokenness. We come with pain. We come with our, our issues. And God takes you through a process. He takes you through a process to prepare you so he can elevate you and put honor upon you. Some of that honor may come in this life. Much of the honor will come in the coming eternal kingdom, the millennial kingdom of Jesus, and then in the ages beyond. But we are to live for the honor that comes from God only. Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, how can you have faith or how can you believe who look for the honor that comes from people and don't seek the honor that God alone can give? Very challenging question. We're looking for honor. We're looking for value. We're looking for, uh, for worth. We're looking for dignity. But God is the one who puts that into our life. If it comes from people, wonderful. But if it comes from God, oh, that's what's the prize. That's what we need to look for. So how did he become a mighty man of valor? What caused him to move from the social reject, the bottom of the pile in the community, to becoming the head of the community? This, this Jephthah's life is like a prophetic picture of Jesus Christ, whose birth was surrounded in controversy, who was shamed and despised and rejected and humiliated and put to death on a cross, but God has raised him up to become the champion. It's like Jephthah's life is a prophetic picture of Jesus Christ himself who was to come. So how did he become a mighty man of valor? Well, here's some things he did. Now, I, I, I can't explain them all because there's a limited time in this, but the number one thing is he encountered God personally in his pain and his trouble and his loneliness. At some point, he stepped out of the anger and the pain and he started to cry out, God, the Hebrews don't want me. The Ammonites don't want me. I'm a nobody nowhere. God, my hope is in you. The first part of transformation comes when we reach out to Jesus Christ. We reach out to engage the living God. I believe he encountered God and he encountered him so powerfully there was a change in his life. He is listed as a man of faith. That means he entrusted his life and began to walk with God and it was God who raised him up. What God did for him, God can do for you. Maybe you've been shamed. Maybe you've suffered injustice. Maybe you've been treated in the most terrible ways, suffering personal injustice, systemic injustice, economic injustice. That's not the end of your story. That's just where you came from. The end of your story is in God's hands and your response to him. The next thing we know is he processed the pain and the shame and the injustice. We know he forgave them. He let it go. He let God have access to the many, many uh, different experiences he had where he was hurt and shamed and put to, to, to dishonored in different ways. And uh, got, he must have given God access to that. How do we know that? Because when the people who had shamed him came for his help, he was willing to help them. Now, you don't help people you're angry with. You don't help people you hate. You help people when you have a heart of God towards them because God has encountered your life and set you free of bitterness, unforgiveness, those kinds of things, the shame that comes with injustice. So you notice there the third thing he must have done over the course of time in his walking with God, he began to develop in secret the giftings of God. There is a developing process God must take you through. You're only partway down your journey. Some of it will be seen in this life. Some of it will be seen in the, in the millennium. But God has got you in a process of transformation. Embrace the process. Let him have access to your heart to heal you. And then develop the uniqueness of who you are. He was born 
to be a warrior. He was born to battle. But he had to make the decisions that allowed God to take him to that place. We know also that he stood up in his identity. The trouble for many people who've had injustice, injustice becomes their identity. They become victim in their mindset, thinking everything is against me, people are against me, the system's against me, finances are against me, everyone's against me. That comes out of a mindset of a victim. You got to, that's not who you are. If you've given your life to Christ, you're a champion already. You just need developing and to, to emerge. And God's got to take you through a few battles to grow you. So you become a mighty man, a conqueror, an overcomer. And that's what God wants for you, you to become an overcomer. Notice there that he stood up in his identity, not as a victim, but as a man of God. It's time for you to stop living out of a victim mindset to stand up and I am a man of God. I'm a woman of God. I'm a person of destiny. My life is not in the hands of people. My life is in the hands of God. God uses people to shape me for my destiny. All things can work together for my good to bring me into my destiny. And we find out, uh, we see there he's honored by God as a man of faith. We know he must have embraced God's destiny, discovered his identity, embraced his destiny, because he stood up and when the opportunity came, he said, I'll help you out, but you will make me the head. I'll no longer be the tail, I'll be the head. And they all say, yeah, we've got nowhere else to go. We turn to you. The stone the builders rejected has now become the chief cornerstone. That's what God does. You may have your period of humiliation and justice. God wants to lift you up. Let me through just for a couple of, of things. Notice this, that beyond your problem lies your promotion. So whatever you're facing right now is the step that will bring you into your promotion in God, your enlargement by God. So whatever you're facing, David had to face Goliath. When he faced Goliath, Goliath's a massive giant. When he overcame Goliath, he was promoted and became a public figure, and his journey to kingship took place at that point. So you notice here, they appointed him, uh, it tells us, as their freedom fighter, the leader of the charge. So here's the thing. How can you break out of injustice you've suffered? There are two parts to the Number one, there's the cross. The cross is the very power of God to us who believe. Bible tells us in Romans, the power of God to us who believe. In other words, you must understand what Jesus did on the cross. As Westerners, when we look at the cross, we think of his suffering and his pain and his death. But from the Hebrew point of view, the whole issue around the cross was public, systematic shaming, removing all honor. Jesus suffered injustice at the cross. He was rejected. He was despised. And the process they took him through was systematic shaming and dishonoring. They slapped him. They spat on him. They covered his head. They hit him. They stripped his clothes off publicly. They humiliated him in front of soldiers. The soldiers laughed at him, ridiculed him. They put a crown of thorns on him, ridiculing him, shaming him for who he was, mocking him. Old king of the Jews, eh? And they put a crown. They bowed down to him in mocking him. So he was mocked. He was ridiculed. He was despised. He was flogged and traumatically treated, traumatically abused. And then they carried him. They took him through the, through the streets and, and stripped his clothes on, hung him on the cross. And the key aspect of the cross is the public shaming. Naked on the cross, powerless on the cross, 
He took your shame. He took your injustice. He took your rejection. He took your pain. He took your grief. He took your bitterness. He took your hatred. He took your sin. He took your sickness. He took on the cross into himself so you could let it go to him. You could let go what you're suffering and come into freedom, come into your identity, come into your destiny. Will you come to Jesus? Will you come to that cross? Will you believe? Will you believe that what you suffer, Jesus paid the price for you to be free of it? Will you hold it or will you exchange it? Will you let go the shame you've carried, the injustice you've carried for right standing with God, for honor from God? Or will you hold on to it and let it play out in all your life and all your relationships? So Jesus at the cross made it possible for us to be free of injustice and shame and dishonor, all that it brings with it. But there's a part we have to play. There's a part we need to play. We need firstly to come to him. You need to make a decision. I'm coming in my pain to Jesus Christ to believe he not only my Savior, he can heal my broken heart and remove my shame. He can give me beauty for my ashes, the oil of joy for my sorrows. Secondly, you need to actually open up your heart about the injustice you've suffered. You need to open your heart and talk to him, make known to him the pain, the events you've gone through and the way it's impacted you. Grieve over it. Let the tears flow. Perhaps journal it out, but face what you've walked through and how it's still affecting you and grieve over it and then release it to the cross. Lord, I give it to you. Come into that part of my heart and bring healing from that injustice and shame I've carried. There's a need for us to forgive because whenever there's injustice, there's a person who committed injustice. Release forgiveness. Speak the words out. Let them go. Bless them. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Jesus did it. Here he is on the cross. And he's praying and blessing people who have cursed him and who have despitefully treated him. Sometimes there's a need for us to repent. We look and we realize we've been so busy blaming everyone else for why our life is like it is. We haven't realized we're carrying inside bitterness and hatred, fear, bitter expectations, vows we've made never to let anyone near us, never to associate with certain people. We've got all of this junk in our life. We need to repent. We need to confess it and break our agreement with the judgments we've made. We make judgments against those in authority. We make judgments against men, judgments against women, judgments against race, judgments against people of different uh, backgrounds to us, judgments related to education, whatever it is, repent of it. Break your agreement with those things. If you build a wall in your heart, I will never, never let anyone hurt me again. Renounce that. Yield it to the Lord. Let the Lord be your defender. Let him be your refuge. When we've broken those agreements, usually there's spirits you need to command to go out. Spirits of injustice, spirits of hate, spirits of fear, spirits of rejection, spirits of shame. Whatever God brings to your mind, you say, I rebuke those things. Go from my life now. Take authority and push them away from your life. And start to renew your mind in the word of God. This is who I am. I am a mighty man of valor. Because Christ, the conqueror of all, dwells within me. There's, a, there's an act of standing up in your new identity. Act of standing up and choosing that when any injustice comes, I'll not react like I did before. I will choose to forgive and bless and release it. If need be, boundary it or need be confronted. What a blessing. This is a powerful story of a man who for us brings hope 
You can be at the bottom. You can suffer injustice personally, systemic injustice, economic justice, social injustice. You can suffer all those things. When God looks on you, he says, I see what you can be. I see inside you a champion. I see inside you a warrior. I see inside you someone who breaks through. Did you know Jephthah means to break open or break out? When you give your life to Christ, his spirit is joined to your spirit. You become a breakout person, breaking out of injustice and becoming a deliverer, a freedom fighter, one now who's been healed and restored and empowered to bring life to other people. Uh, God bless you. Let me just, I want you to close your eyes right now. Perhaps right now as we just come to the end of this message, already you're just aware there's all these things are just bubbling up right now. As you look at that story, as I've shared it, you realize, oh my, 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 I am angry. Man, all kinds of injustice have just come to my mind right now, going right back over all the years of my life. Well, you're not all solved at once, but it's, it, it starts when you say, Jesus, help me, help me. I want to just lead you in a simple prayer. Perhaps you just follow the simple prayer right now. Just close your eyes. Just open your heart. Let the Holy Spirit come. His presence is there to help you right now. His presence is there to help you. He loves you deeply. He sees in you what no one else sees. He sees the image of God, shattered and damaged, but still the image of God. He sees who he's called you to be. And he's calling and inviting you right now to open your heart and let him heal you, set you free, and raise you up. Father, right now, in Jesus' name, I ask you to help people. You just follow me in this prayer. Jesus, I open my heart. I realize I'm carrying deep injustice, that I'm angry, that I'm in pain. I feel a deep shame over what was done to me. There's hatred in my heart. There's bitterness in my heart. Father, I come to you right now. I surrender control over my heart. I turn away from trying to control and manage the pain and relationships. I turn away from reacting to people and misinterpreting what's happening. And I ask you, Lord, to come into the place of pain and heal my damaged heart. I break my agreement with injustice. I break my agreement with shame. I break my agreement with bitterness. I break my agreement with hatred. I break my agreement with fear. I break my agreement with every wish to die. I break my agreement with self-rejection, hating myself. Now, Lord, in Jesus' name, I forgive and bless those who have hurt me. I release them now in Jesus' name. I speak to every spirit that's taken hold of me through injustice. I command you, go in Jesus' name. Go in Jesus' name. Lord, I claim freedom. I stand in my identity. A man, a woman of God, honored by you because I identify with Jesus Christ. I stand up 
in my new identity and I brace the destiny you have for me to bring freedom to others. Amen. God bless you. May the Lord touch you right now in Jesus' name.